the eighth yes sir yeah no no the, the assembly of the eighth day and so we'll talk about that today and so that's why we still have the sukkah up and we'll go in there in a minute and we'll have some fun there is a lulav there remember that palm branch and the other branches there and the etrog remember that what I told you last year that you all had to be lemons for the Lord no some of you remember maybe not you can talk about that with me later. And tomorrow is another holiday. And tomorrow is? Simchat Torah. And what do you do on Simchat Torah? Rejoice. You do that for the whole Feast of Tabernacles and these two days. But you read part of the law. So that's why I brought my copy with me so we can do that. And it's customary to call people up to read, but I know with all the chairs here it's going to be difficult, so I've put some verses in English. Yes, you, you, you can come up and read. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, great. We can do that. We can make that happen. And so we'll, we'll, we'll read something in a few minutes. But first we're going to say Shabbat Shalom and we're going to light the lights. Lord Jesus, that you are the light of the world, that you have enlightened our hearts, and we thank you for the gift of this day, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The gift of this day, because it's Miniatzart, it's a special day, it's the eighth day of assembly. Mm -hmm. And we have assembled. And the one thing that we should do on Shmini Atzeret, or any of the days of the Feast of Tabernacles, is rejoice. rejoice. That's the key commandment for the Feast of Tabernacles. So, how do you do that? I'm looking, I'm looking at the worship. I'm looking at the worship team. We dance and sing. We sing, so uh, I'll leave the dancing up to you because if I'm, I'm stuck behind the table and so no, no good. Uh, maybe I'll dance on the table in a few minutes. <laughs> Can we have the wine? In the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, for seven days is the Feast of Tabernacles. On the first day is a holy convocation, you shall do no ordinary work. For seven days you are to present an offering to the Lord. Those offerings are mentioned in the book of Numbers, chapter 29. Then Moses continues, On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. So on the first day of the seven days... And on the eighth day, now being a person with dyslexia, I get that because I can't count either. Because if this festival has seven days, how do you get to the eighth day? 
But God adds an extra day for some purpose. And present an offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim at their, holy, uh, at their times, holy convocations. For presenting to the Lord offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper days. Beside the Lord's Sabbath, which is even today, beside your gifts and your free will offerings, your vows, beside all your offerings, which you shall give to the Lord, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, that atroch, that fruit, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day it shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. Verse 40, And you shall take the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and the brook of the willows, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in a year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month and you shall dwell in Sukkah, in tabernacles for seven days. That you may remember that I brought the children of Israel to dwell Sorry, that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt and made them dwell in tabernacles. <coughs> That's what this feast is all about, to dwell in tabernacles. So later on we are going to dwell in there. Do you want to grab the screen and push it up? few buttons to the right, just the arrow key. You can do that. You can, you can just stay seated. Just the right arrow. No? Okay. In that case, in that case, yes, Anna, I'm going to ask you. Did it work? No, okay. In that case, I'll, I will grab the PC at that case. I'm going to take you your place. I can do my place. Great. <coughs> okay. If you know it, you can say it with me. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pri Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us in your word and who has taken pleasure in us and in love and mercy has given us your Shabbat, a reminder regarding creation. It is the first amongst our days of sacred assembly, recalling the exodus from Egypt. You've chosen us and sanctified us from all the people, and in love you've granted us your Shabbat. Blessed are you, O Lord, who sanctifies the Shabbat.
Let's say it together. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, HaMotzi Lechem Min HaAretz. Amen. There is some salt here, if you would like some salt. Strange computer. <clears throat> there is salt there in the little bowl. On Simchat Torah, we read from the scriptures, and so what I've done. We conclude the book of Deuteronomy and we open it again in the book of Genesis. And if we were a very wealthy congregation, we would have had two scrolls and one for the end because it takes a while to roll it up to the beginning again. And we read it. It's called Simchat Torah because we rejoice in all of the five books of Moses, it's not so much the commandments themselves, but in the beginning stories of the Bible, it's the beginning of our lives. Um, the Jewish people have their foundations within this. So what I've done is I've created one slide for the, um, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33. I've skipped the other parts. It goes beyond us. And then we'll have some worship and then we'll do... Genesis, and then I'll ask somebody to come up. Okay. Uh, here we go. So therefore we have a little bit of liturgy, which is a bit different because it's just reading scripture. So if you want to read it with me, that'd be great. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33. This is the blessing which Moses, man of God, blessed the people of Israel with his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose from his earth. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire in his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. And they stand at your feet, receiving all your words, which Moses commanded us, the Torah, the procession for the congregation of Jacob. Thus the Lord became king in Yeshurun, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. The rest of them will be individual readings, and so... Anybody want to be reader one? Thank you, David. I took that as a yes. What do you want me to do, Paul? Read. Just read. Let Reuben live and not die, and let Simon be many in number. This, if you know your Bible really well, this is slightly different than the text that you're familiar with, isn't it? Let Reuben live and not die, and let him be few in number, the Masoretic text says. The Septuagint, in this case, I think is probably more right. 
Somebody else? Go. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him in to his people. <coughs> Your hands contend for him, and be a help against his adversaries. Next. And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim, and make your God, to your godly one whom you tested at Massa, with whom you quarrelled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments, and Israel your Torah. They shall put incense before you, and whole burnt offerings on your altar. <coughs> Bless, O Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they rise not again. And Benjamin, of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord dwell in safety by him. He covers him all the day, and he dwells between his shoulders. Mm. And of Joseph he said, Blessed be the Lord, blessed, blessed by the Lord be his land, with the choicest gifts of heaven above, and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun, and the rich yield of the months with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and wits, with fullness and the flavour of him who dwells in the bush. May the please rest on the head of Joseph, on the cape of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall bore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And, and of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar, in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountains. There they offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the land. <coughs> And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off the arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself. For there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. <coughs> and of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favour and full of the blessing of the Lord, you shall possess the sea and the south. And of Asher he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher, let him be the favourite of his brothers. And let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze. As your day, so shall your strength be. There is none like God, O Yeshua, 
who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he thrust out the enemies before you, and said, Destroy. Wow. Those are the words from Moses that God inspired him to say. We say that every year at Simchat Torah. We're going to have some additional worship. <coughs> and the first thing we're going to sing is... Um, the last one of the Jukovic. He is not a thing. That's on? Yeah. Is it connected on the link? Oh, no, it's on. It's okay. Great.
this is a new one that probably none of you will know. I got it when I was on mission in Hong Kong at a place called Crossroads. So I'll just play the, the melody. It's, um, I think it's fairly easy to pick up. Thank you. 
The next verse. The next seen a scroll, this is a paper copy. I've never seen one. Sorry? Never seen one close up. Haven't you? A paper copy. Anything. Oh. There you go. And so what Kathy's going to read out <coughs> is what we'll see on our screen too. 
Got to scroll right back. Scroll right back. Uh, to the beginning of it? To the beginning of it, because we're going to do the And so you can do either the first paragraph or the first. Because that's what I have on the screen. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> Tohu avohu v'choshet alpnei ha tohum oh tohum tohum v'rutzaz no v'ruach v'ruach elohim mera chefet alpnei hamayim Vayomer Elohim yihye or the hayahayi or Vyarei Elohim et haor kitov Uvdil Uvdil Elohim vein haor uvein Hachoshet. Vekara Elohim lo o yom vechoshet kara le laila. Vahayi erev vahayi boker yom ehad. Reading from a scroll is not quite the same because the script is kind of different and difficult. So if you want to have a look later on, uh, I'll open it up here and you can have a look because it isn't the standard kind of script, so it is kind of difficult. Nevertheless, we need a new reader because now we're in the new part. Anybody? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. <coughs> and God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. And that was what day. Kathy read, sorry. Yeah. So let's finish it all together. In the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, there you go. That was our liturgy for the day. Because many congregations don't actually read through the scriptures, I, I do like that. I, I do appreciate that weekly reading of portions of scripture because through that you'll read through the whole it's easy for me to do it differently because I'll, I like plucking topics that I like 
but this month I've been teaching at Epping and I'm going through the book of Galatians just verse by verse and passage by passage and it just helps you see the whole and that's what Jewish people do at this time they're starting a new sequence at the time of Yeshua at the time of Jesus they had a triannual cycle not an annual cycle as they have now but he too we know took the scroll he took it from the Haftarah portion, the scroll of Isaiah. And if you ever have the opportunity to go to Israel, go to the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in the shrine of the book in the Israel Museum. It is well worth just looking at the text and looking at a text that is 2,000 years old. And it makes you wonder, he didn't touch that scroll, but... The text that we read today, is it different than that text? Is it the same text? If you're like me, you're a Bible believer, you'll say it's the same text. If you're an academic, and I worked in an academic setting, you'll say, no, it isn't. Now, how can both be true? Now, we have an American. Can you spell honor? O-N-O-R Thank you. Do we have any English people here? Yes. Can you spell honor? H-O-N-O-U-R Oh, is that the same? Yes. Well, that's the same in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are over a thousand variants, but 98% of them are spelling variants from the old Hebrew script to the new Hebrew script. Is that the same? Yeah. It didn't change the text. But they were dropping out the vowels, just like the Americans did. I don't know why they do that, but that's okay. Well, we'll forgive them for doing it then and today. But it's helpful for us to know that that text that we see at the Shrine of the Book is still the same text that we have today. I'm not going to talk long, but... If you think of this feast within the New Covenant writings, within the New Testament, where do you find it? Yeah, in the New Covenant, the New Testament. Yeah, John chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me for a second. Because it, it is quite fascinating. It says, verse 2, and the Jewish feast of booths was at hand. Why would they need to say it was the Jews' feast? Where is Jesus in verse 1? He's in Galilee. And he's going to Jerusalem. And how do you get to Jerusalem? By walking through Samaria. And guess what they celebrate in Samaria? This same feast, but he's saying it's not that one, it's the one that they do with the Jewish people. Huh. That, that's, that's kind of interesting. His brothers don't believe it, and so they're pushing him to say, hey, <coughs> declare yourself to be somebody at this feast. Do you know why they do that? Because there is a king coming. And this feast is connected to the coming of the king because the fallen tabernacle of David would be restored 
book of Amos talks about that. So that the king would come. And if you're that king, if you're that messianic king, declare yourself to be king and show yourself to the people. His brothers don't believe. So why do they do that? Hey, uh, my brother is the king. That makes me somebody. There have been no Jewish kings from the exile up to this point. Only Jewish princes. And they're in the line somewhere, but they're saying, hey, uh, I don't think so. I don't want to be that man. Turn with me to the next chapter, which is still in that same period of time. There are a million Jewish people that have gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast and the associate, the eighth day and the the Simchat Torah feast in chapter 8. But Jesus went up onto the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst. You know this story and I know this story. It's not a new story unless this is the first time you ever read this. But I want you to remember that this is this feast, chapter 8. This is not the Feast of Tabernacles, although it's associated with it. It is Simchat Torah. Instead of rejoicing over the law and in the law and what God has provided for them and all the blessings that He's provided for them, what is it that they do? They set a trap in the law. Because here they bring this woman to Jesus and say, hey, what are you going to do? The law says that we should stone her. Okay, she's caught in the act of adultery. He's missing. You need two people for adultery. Which means that the three witnesses that were there must have been a part of this plot. The other thing is, they all dwell in those little tents, in those sukkahs, in those lean-tos. And there are... 100,000 of them around the Mount of Olives, so it would have been easy to get her into somebody else's sukkah. Now, if Jesus says, yep, she's guilty, what, are, what does he have to do? Stone her. By Roman law, that's illegal. You can only stone somebody at this time if they, the Gentile, came into the temple. So... If he does so, the Romans are going to get him. And also, he will be heartless, because he was merciless. On the other hand, if he says, Hey, set her free, she had a bad day, and you're a bunch of lying, you know. Then, hey, he broke the law. And therefore, he's not the Messiah. He's not somebody who you can trust. What does he do? Yeah, but but how? Verse 6. And with his finger, he wrote down, bending down. Why is there such an emphasis on this finger thing? Yeah, exactly. What did God write with his finger before? The Ten Commandments, the law. That whole thing that they should have rejoiced in, the whole thing that they should have accepted, which included you shall not have false witnesses. 
you shall not bring a false charge. That whole thing that they now try to present, he's saying, hey, I am the author of all these laws. I know what it says. You don't have to pester me about that. And they continue to ask him and pester him. And so he stands up. Exactly. <laughs> and he said to them, Let him who's without sin among you throw the first stone. And he's saying, Hey, uh, it's up to you. If any of you are guilty of all those, any other laws of bringing a false charge, or even of adultery, or any of these other commandments that we have, these guys have obviously thought about it. And what happens? Beginning with the older ones, the ones that had common sense and went, hey, we made the mistake, we've done wrong, we've become legalistic and trying to entrap rather than in the rejoicing. Because in this chapter and in the previous and then the next, the healing of the blind man, what is missing? There is no rejoicing. That whole thing that they should have come for to the Lord is missing. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus answered, Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. He's not saying she's innocent, but he is setting her free. If we use the law properly, we can rejoice in it. But if we misuse it, it'll become legalism. Are you free from the law of Moses as a written code? Yeah. Yeah. Galatians talks about that extensively. But am I free then to become a legalist of other laws that I can add? No. The whole thing that Paul really writes about is legalism. Don't be a legalist. Jesus then says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. We read that at Hanukkah, and it would have made sense for us to see that a couple of chapters later, in chapter 10 and verse 22 or around there. But at this time, at the time of Yeshua, at the time of Jesus, inside the tabernacle, sorry, inside the temple, in the court of the world, they would put four extra menorahs, but only four branches. It took the young priest carrying buckets of oil on their back, climbing up and filling them. The, the rabbis in, in um, the Mishnah say that those lights lit up every courtyard in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, that's nice, boys. I don't want entrapment by the law. I want to enlighten all of you, wherever you are. Whether here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, or the outermost parts of the earth. I want to be the light of the world, because that's who I am. And that's what this feast is all about. And what is it that they want to do? What is it that they do at this point? 
Yeah. They don't want to know, do they? No. It's a real sad thing. They say your testimony about yourself is not valid. Uh, what we need is another testimony. But we already had Yohanan, we had John, we had the miracles that he did. We had the independent witness of God who came and spoke at the baptism. Verse 31. So Yeshua said to the Judeans who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. That's what he wants us to be, his disciples. Chapter 9. And he passed by and he saw men blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, said he was born blind? Have you ever seen a blind man? Anybody? Did you remember saying to your friend or to your family member who was with you? Who do you think sinned? Was it him or his parents? It's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? It makes sense that God would strike somebody with blindness if they were horrible sinners. But is that an automatic? No. Plus, that this man was born blind, so when would he have sinned if he sinned? before birth but after conception so in his mother's womb so the rabbi state that if you kick your mother too hard in the womb he might strike you with blindness <laughs> well it makes sense because you've got to blame somebody the other thing they said or was it his parents well God does visit the sins the consequences of the sin really upon the next generation to the second or third generation that's not the case here. What's the case? It was neither. Yeah, that he sent or his parents sent. But that the work of God may be displayed in him. Amen. And again, he repeats in verse 5, I am the light of the world. And so he's saying now, here's an application of what I told you about earlier in this same week. And what is it that he does? You've got to picture this, right? Jesus and his disciples are all crowding around. Hannah is the blind man. And Jesus goes... <sighs> okay, I know that sounded gross, but, but think about it. And then he makes the mouth. If you were seeing, what would you do? Yeah, except for the blind guy, because he doesn't know where it's coming from. <laughs> so he's standing there and he goes, okay, I'll see and wait what happens. And what is it that Jesus does? He makes mud with the saliva and then he anointed the man's eyes. The only people in the word Christian has become very a very enculturated word and I'd much rather say a believer point of view that there is this experience that I can have of God which helps me to interpret his word. I believe the spirit of God will help you will help you interpret his word. Ask, you know, that the Holy Spirit will show you and you'll start to get these experiences of the word of God coming alive.
for you. It's not some dead looking at the tradition of what Rabbi so-and-so said to, in, 200, in 200 AD or Christian era. It, it's not trying to follow tradition. It's trying to get hold of the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the law written on your heart. You'll feel it. The law will be... This is Jeremiah 30, 31, 33. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. In other words, having to go to instruction classes, having to listen to what the rabbi says. For they all shall know me. We all shall know. And we can, in sense, because of Messiah, Jesus, we can have this direct approach to the word of God which can be meaningful for me rather than just fitting in tradition. I don't mind it fitting in with tradition. That's fine. I don't think that's wrong. But I'm just aware, particularly uh, when, we, uh, when we came into what was renewal in the Christian experience, the word of God just becomes far more on fire. And that's what we want. We want the fire of God. They will number from the least of them to the greatest. So it doesn't matter how educated you are or whether you're a rabbi or not, but from the least to the greatest. And I will forgive their sin and their sin will be remembered no more. You know, that's, that's amazing stuff. It's too little lights out. Sorry, thanks. Okay. Yeah, turned on the lights. Yeah, we want the light. We want to be in the light. So they didn't, they didn't want to s s show us where they were sitting, you know. <laughs> we chose to sit here. <laughs> in the dark. Sorry, Joe. Okay. okay. So I, th these are the three readings that um, Harry supplied so that we were all on the same page. And looking at them, what got quickened in my spirit, or what I believe God was and the Spirit was saying to me, is the significance of order. Mm -hmm. The significance of order. Now, this is, in a sense, very Jewish. I mean, the law is order. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, and you, can, you can go to it to the nth degree, and it, becomes, it appears to us to become just nearly absurd. You know, you can't, how you can't turn a light on on the Sabbath and all this kind of thing, which is... Which is it would appear to be law going, you know, going to an extreme. But law is important. Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is holy and just and good. God gave the law. That's the Torah, the uh, first five books. Not necessarily the tradition. God, I mean, the Talmud, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want to speak against it, but I'm saying it's the Torah that is the, I regard as the fully inspired thing. So order is not just control, order can be expressed as control, but order is spiritual because I need order in my life. I would say that the one spiritual problem I've had in my life is that I am rebellious. I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. I've got my own interpretation, you know. 
And that rebellion is of the very essence of sin. Sin is disobeying the will of God. The scripture actually says that sin is, it is sin to you when you know you should be, shouldn't be doing it and you do do it. Or that which is another definition in Romans 14 is sin is that which is not of faith. So this sense of being rebellious is deeply written in my, in my nature and in fact in the nature of us all. That's what's called original sin. By nature, we rebel against God. Jim, the word for sin in Greek is amartia, and this literally means to not give witness or glory to God. Your actions are removed from what is the image of God. So yeah. every time you step into sin, you're, yeah. you're moving away from Him. Yeah. And therefore... When you realise the power of sin in your life and how really, even though you're a really good person and you love everybody <coughs> and you're doing all good things, you're still a sinner. And this offends some people when you, you know, you're trying to communicate the gospel and the gospel includes saying that you're a sinner and they say, no, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. And they may very well be a good person. I'm not trying to say they're a lousy, unrighteous, wretched person, but they don't understand the power of sin in their life and how deeply deeply rebellious and deeply independent, it's that independence, it's not depending upon God thing that is part of it. When you see the power of sin, you will recognise the need for the power of the cross because it's always the blood of Jesus that handles sin. I can't. It's my nature to be sinful. So how can I handle sin in my life if it's my nature to be sinful? I will not understand the power of sin until I understand the power of the cross and I, or the power of the blood. And I will not understand the power of the blood until I understand the power of sin. It's the blood that deals with the sin. And that is very Old Testament, First Testament. Can't quite say Jewish because I don't think they have that concept of atonement really. Anyway, so I think that order is spiritual and disorder is spiritual. A deep form of disorder in my life where I become dysfunctional with respect to God. Maybe living a good life, maybe being a good person but dysfunctional with respect to what God wants in my life. God suggests I do something and I'm saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that, that's, that's a dream. No, it's not. If God has it's been planted in me by the Holy Spirit, what God asks me to do will be impossible because it's got to be by faith. If, I, if it's possible for me to do it, it doesn't require faith. I just do it because it's possible. So when God's showing me something that is impossible, I know it could be be from the devil too, but it could be from God. And he's challenging me and trying to draw me out and saying, listen, mate, walk by faith. Not by sight, not by what you can see. uh, There's another verse that says, whatever does not proceed from faith 
is sin. Yeah, yeah. I think that's Romans fourteen twenty three actually. Yeah. So when I was so, what I want to talk about tonight is how powerful order is, God's order. And this is saying I want God's order in my life. I want God's order in my heart. Now it starts off. These, these Torah readings are entitled Bar Midbar, which, in, which is the Hebrew for in the desert. And it's the, in the first verse of Numbers, usually all the, the names that they have for these Torah readings have to do with the first word or the first verse of the book that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Where God, and, and it's because it's in, in the wilderness where God speaks with Moses. I'm taking these readings under a theme of order. Having been released from the brutal captivity of slavery in Egypt, God is now bringing order to the new life of Israel. Israel is coming out of captivity and destruction into the emptiness of wilderness. This is very interesting. And if you-